Now, grab your Bibles and let's take a look again at uh, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Um, I can tell you, if you, um, if you are just really bogged down over Romans 8.28 and you're eager to get on with it, um, I, I have some bad news for you. The, the bad news is it only gets worse in verses 29 and 30. Um, we've probably spent five weeks already on 28. Well, you could spend five weeks on one word in verse 30 or one word in, in verse 29. Uh, there's just, so again, I hope, I, I, um, I know that you would always like to have something that's very practical and, and, uh, you know, relevant, but guys, there's nothing more relevant. There's nothing more relevant, but relevant than the truth of God. Nothing. Nothing is going to be uh, more helpful to you than uh, figuring out how to rightly think and uh, to think according to God's word. So, um, I, unless y'all run me off, I'm I'm in no hurry, um, and um, so I'm just going to take my time. And the the unfortunate thing is, you know, we take a Christmas break of three weeks, and that Christmas break will start like the 14th. Of, we'll we'll meet the December seventh night. But then we're off for three weeks, and we're going to be right smack dab in the middle of verses 29 and 30, which is uh, unfortunate, but can't be avoided. Okay, let me, let me do this real quick, just by way of um, summary, and then we'll, um, we'll uh, um, move to something new, uh, I hope. I, I've, what I've sought to do over these weeks is demonstrate for you that the, the promise and the claim of Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to them that love God under the call according to his purpose. That that is, not, that is not some religious hype. And it's hard for people who are in the midst of difficulty and suffering to, to take it seriously. Good? This is good? No, I didn't say that, nor does the text. It doesn't say that is good. What it says is that, the, that what God is up to is good. And so in, the, in, the, in view of that, this whole idea of that being good, I gave you uh, four, um, I don't know, reasons to believe that indeed what you're experiencing is good. The first thing we talked about is um, that, that, that I'm awakened, uh, that I'm um, reminded of certain things. Um, pain has a way of uh, calling to life my slumbering soul. Um, we talked about how pain and suffering gives us um, an understanding of the real nature uh, of this life. Um, the, the, the sentence that comes to my mind is that what, what pain does is it helps you cull away the insignificant. And so it teaches you and shows you the, the, um, the nature of this life versus the nature of the eternal life. And then... Um, I said that, that uh, in the midst of pain that God withdraws uh, or he withholds so that we will, so he, he will create a greater appetite. Um, he, he becomes, uh, he withdraws himself or withdraws his blessings uh, to remind us just how important they are to our, our whole existence. And then last week what we looked at is that, um, that what God does is that he, he authors a test, and the test is not so that he can find out uh, what is in us, but so that we can find out what is in us. Uh, so those are, 
lumping those four things together, um, I, I'm suggesting that that, that, that is a, a, a grounds and a foundations to be able to, to look at my circumstances and say, yes, this is painful and I'm not enjoying this. But what God is up to is a good thing. Uh, if, if you would like uh, maybe a different set of words, uh, what, what pain does is that it, it humbles the proud. Um, it, it, softens, it softens the stubborn. Boy, we can be stubborn, can we not? You know, guys, let me tell you something. Um, I think most of your theological education comes during difficulty. Because for the first time, you're willing to listen. You're willing to learn something. You're willing to re-examine your whole theological positions. Maybe for the first time, well, I believe this. And then all of a sudden, God, and then you, then you have to go back and examine whether you really, that is really the truth. So it, it, it softens the stubborn and it, it melts the hard. Um, and then it, then it tells us the truth. Um, about ourselves. So, those are good things, guys. Um, you know, we are, we are so ravaged by sin that the, uh, it's a sad truth, but a truth nonetheless, that, that one of the only, not one of the only, but one of the, one of the teaching tools that God has at his disposal is, is pain. He uses that to do some of those things. And I, and I say to you, gang, that uh, how unfinished and how rebellious and proud and hard and indifferent we would all be were it not for the, um, for the sovereign, divine, merciful use of pain and distribution of pain into our lives. Uh, we would have remained indifferent and hard and stubborn and proud and rebellious, but uh, God has authored things to change all that. Now, so that's what we've—that's kind of where we've been to this point. Um, what I want to do, at least tonight, and then next week we'll we'll finish up uh, 8:28, Lord willing. Uh, and next week, what I want to do is close with a philosophical um, observation and a theological one. But tonight I want to go back to the text. Now, I don't know whether you know this distinction, but what, what I've done with this text up to this point is purely topical. What I did is, I, I, for all things work together for good, and I took the all things. I lifted that all things out of the text, and I said, yes, we know that good things are good, but what we don't believe is that bad things work together for good. And so I, I've been addressing those bad things. That's a topical treatment of that text. So what I want to do with it now is return to it and do some, not so much um, uh, exegesis of it, because I don't want to take you to the Greek words. I, I mean, I can, we can do that if you like. I, I don't know that it'll be profitable. But I do want to look at the text and, and, and um, draw my points out of the text tonight. Uh, the, text, the, the, the points heretofore, at least on this text, have been drawn from the topic. I want to draw my points tonight from the text itself. So uh, take a look at your Bibles and, and, and look again. There's four quick things that I want to say about it. The text simply says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Now, I want, here's the first observation. The first thing that I want you to remember is that the promise of, verse, of Romans 
is not that all things work together to make me rich. Or all things work together to make me happy. Or all things work together to make me comfortable. All things work together to make me good. Good. Now, gang, um, some of you on occasion perhaps have wondered whether you really liked God's definition of good. And uh, that may be the problem, that is, in your treatment of the text. But uh, I can't change you in that. That is, if you've got that problem, that is, you don't like God's definition of good, then you need to go deal with him about that. Um, or try to adjust your views of good. But, but all, what I want to do is remind you of a couple of things. For instance, in the, the, the story of the uh, rich young ruler, which is found in a couple places in the New Testament, it's found in um, Mark 10 in one place. You remember the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you remember what Jesus said? This is, I think, verse 17 or 18. Uh, in Mark 10, and Jesus says, Why do you call me good? There is none good but God alone. Now, here's my point. If, if this is designed to make us good, and there is none good but God alone, then what difficulty is designed to make you is not happy, not comfortable, not rich, It's designed to make you like God. That's the good that is in view. The the Greek word, it's not going to help you much. It's just agathos. It's It's a normal Greek word for good. But the New Testament will tell you that there is nothing good but what that's which is that which is associated with God. And so what God is what what Romans 28:28 is telling you is that this difficulty is making you more into the image of Jesus Himself. Now, gang, for the Christian, there should be no good like the good of becoming conformed to the image of Christ. That is something that we ought to be celebrating. That he's not making me comfortable, he's not making me happy, he's making me good. And what does that good mean? He's making me like the Savior. And for us, there ought to be nothing like that. Nothing more desirable than to be made into the image of the Savior who was, as you know, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Um, There's an interesting statement made in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, where where it's describing Jesus and it uses this language that he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience from what he... He learned what it was going to take to produce obedience. (laughs) He learned what it was going to taste like when we were being made good through suffering. Well, um, that should be cause for celebration among us. That is, that what this is doing is that it's making us good. The, um, the Christian is someone who would much rather be bankrupt in business than be bankrupt in grace. And so, that's the first reminder. The focus is on good. And good is like Christ. Here's the second thing, or the second observation from the text. Uh, this, this may draw me, for some of you, it may be drawing the lines way too narrowly. I, I don't think it is, but I, I just want to underscore that it is not things that work 
for good. It is God using things that work for good. In fact, in, in, in most of the translations, that's what I get for being so fat. Um, well, anyway, uh, nobody ever complained about not being able to hear me anyway, but uh, uh, Brent, you want to do anything with this? Who? I told you I was good with technology. Um, it's, it's not the... So, um, so... <laughs> So my daughter called Susie the, the other, I guess it was last night, and she said, we're never doing that again. <laughs> so I didn't say anything. Well, I mean, Susie was telling me, and, and so I, these things. Anyway, um, so, so she said, well, what happened? She said, well, their neighborhood was invaded by people who didn't live in the neighborhood. Um, she said, She said there was one child that came up and their mother was standing on the you know the sidewalk saying now honey just take one honey just take one and you know the but the rest of them you know they 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 came out and brought the bag of candy out and it was <laughs> just raking the candy into their bags and, and and there were there was all kinds of raucous behavior in the streets and she said we're never doing that again well th- th- all i'm saying is guys christians understand that this is not a nice place. It has been scarred by sin, and it there's all kinds of ugliness that um, that'll bite you. Um, we understand tragedy because we understand something about sin and its entrance and how it's ravaged creation. Now, my fourth observation really is my longest one, so um, let me get to that right 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 away. Um, I would suggest to you that the most important words that are contained in Romans 8 are the words, are these words. We know. Paul does not say, I am persuaded or um, I believe, but with this unblushing confidence, he stands and says, we know. Now, Now stay with me, guys. If you've got your Bibles open, look up at verse 26, where Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know. When a, within a span of three verses, he says, we do not know, and, in, and then he says, we know. Now, how can those two things be reconciled? How do you, how do you solve this apparent uh, paradox? Well, guys, here's the point. A Christian is somebody who can be certain about some things, while at the same time uncertain about other things. I can be sure of the ultimate, even though I am terribly confused about the immediate. I may not know how to pray. I may not know how to unravel the mysteries of my difficult situation. But I know how all of this is going to conclude. And so I can cope. Gang, 
we are a people who must keep our eyes on the end because we know the ultimate, although we're not real sure about the immediate. And, and you know, very honestly, when you're in pain, it's hard to do. It's hard to, um, uh, to see very far when you're dug yourself in quite a valley. It's hard to remember the things that you know when you're, when you're you know, down in some trough. I don't understand why all these things are happening to me. And I don't know exactly what to ask for. But this much I know. It is happening for my good. The fact that we do not understand what is happening to us in the present should never be allowed to disturb us in terms of our understanding of the ultimate. And I want to suggest to you, in one sense, we know not, and we know is a pretty good summary of a Christian's life. There are certain things we know, and there are certain things that we don't know. But the danger is, in the midst of suffering, the danger is in the midst of difficulty, is because I cannot explain everything that is happening to me right now, there's a lot of mistakes that are made. And then the devil doesn't create these circumstances. He just takes advantage of us. And he begins to whisper into our ears certain doubts about who we are and who God is. We begin to question whether we're real. We begin to question whether we're, we're really a saved man or woman. You know, guys, some of the preaching that I've heard pretty much on radios or televisions, it, it, it gives you the impression that if you hurt at all, if you've got cancer or, you know, if, you, if, you've, if you've got or in any way got a difficulty, you're some kind of inferior product. You're not genuine because, you know, the real people there, you know, they, they believe God and they can get through all That is so cruel. Gang, the worst time in the world to make a judgment about your soul, about your life, is when you're sunk in the midst of despair or pain. Because you can't see very far from the bottom of a valley. Let me just add this quick little note, too. The last time that you need to be making decisions about where you're going to change jobs, or you're going to leave your husband, or whether you're going to you know, have another baby, is in the midst of a valley. Because you can't see very far. You know, unfortunately, it seems to most of us, that the only vehicle that God has to get us to heaven is a roller coaster instead of a rocket ship. You know, and, 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 and though the, the Christian life, you know, looks kind of like this, God is looking for people who live like this in the midst of times like this. And the way that they do that is by reminding themselves of what they know. You go back to the things on which you have built bedrock. And even though I can't understand everything that's happening to me, the way that I can take some of that 
up and down out of my existence is by returning again and again and again to what I know. That's why I say it's the most important words in, in the text. And we know. You know, let, let me show you this, and, and I, I hesitate because I think many of you have already seen it, but if you've got your Bibles still open, I want to show you three guys who did this. Uh, it's in Daniel chapter 3. You know their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I always love to say that. There's kind of certain, you know, cadence to it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, but, you know, this, they're, they're approaching a fiery furnace, and they've been arrested, and, you know, they're going to pick them to toss them in the fiery furnace. And that's a pretty bad time. They're in a, they're in a, they're in a pickle. Uh, they're, they don't know how to understand all this. And, and, and just look with me as, as to how they handle their situation. Uh, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And look at verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able. Okay, this is a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, this is really a bad time. And, and, but let me just tell you this, O King Nebuchadnezzar. I, I want you to know something. I know my God is able uh, to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. We have full confidence. But then notice this next sentence. But if Uh, God's able. We think He will. But even if He doesn't. Can you do that? I want you to, I read this real fast so, so that you wouldn't see it. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What do you think they appealed to in their souls at that moment? Do you think it had to do with something that they knew? We don't need to pray about this. <laughs> you want us to bat out of your gods? We're not bat out of your gods. We're not gonna, we don't need to pray about it. We don't need to think about it. We're not going to do that because there are certain things that we know to be rock solid. So God is able, and we hope He does. But if He doesn't, we still ain't worshiping your God. Why? How did they pull that off? They pulled it off based on what they knew. And I say to you, my, fr- my brother and sister in Christ, one of the reasons that we have so, much, so many struggles is because we know so very little. We haven't studied our Bibles 15 minutes in the past six months. And so we, did, we paid Jimmy Young a nice salary to come teach it to us so that we can get a little tidbit from him every now and then. Difficulty is going to expose how little you know and that's the very thing that will be your refuge in the midst of the pain. You know, in, in, in contrast to those three guys, I, I had this thought years ago, and I, I, I think I've said it a couple of times. I might even said it here. I remember saying it at Central. I remember saying this. But I, I had this thought. You, you know the story about um, Job? Everybody knows that story. I mean, everybody, <laughs> we go through difficulty and we say, oh, I'm just in Job. Don't do that. Don't try to compare your situation with Job's. Go look at Job's one day. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a little bit worse than ours. I'm, I'm just, I promise you. But anyway, uh, you remember the story how 
how the, the devil goes and appears before God and, and says, um, and uh, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and, uh, and, uh, and the devil says, um, yeah, yeah, I, I know Job, but you, <laughs> you give him to me and, uh, man, he'll curse you to your face. <laughs> God says, um, go ahead. I've often wondered if the devil ever stood before God and said, Give me Jimmy Young, and when I'm finished with him, he'll curse you to his face, to your face. And God looked at Satan and said, No, you can't have him because you're right. He would curse me. In the midst of this, He's looking for this. And the way that you get at least close to that is by returning to what you know. Folks, it is always too easy to give up. It's always too soon. Folks, in the last seven days, I have spoken to two men who both want to kill themselves. It's always too soon to give up. Because after that valley, my brother and sister in Christ, God is going to show you a peak. And may I hasten to add, He's the one that gets to define the peak. But you may not like what you're going through right now, but you're going to love. You're going to love what He's doing in you. I say that on the authority of the Word of God. You know, um, these are a couple of quotes that I found in back in the 80s. I've used them a dozen times, but but they came from a Tim Hansel book, and I don't I don't know that you can still get it, but if you can. It'd be worth your, wherever you, it's called, you got to keep dancing, by Tim Hansel. Tim Hansel was a mountain climber and he uh, fell and broke his back or something. He's, he lives in constant pain, and so the the book was, um, you got to keep dancing. And I'm telling you, that book got me through some hard times. But um, in that book, I don't know that he said this or he was quoting somebody else, but he, this is one of the quotes: pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Gang, you and I, because we live in a broken, fallen, scarred world, we cannot avoid pain, but we can avoid joy. We can be as miserable as we want to be. And I can promise you misery if you fail to remember what you know. Gang, joy is not a feeling. It is a choice. 
It is a choice that we make based on things we know to be true. None of you remember how this series started. Let me remind you. It was from a quote. A quote it was with a quote from Martin Lloyd Jones. Martin Lloyd Jones. Martin Lloyd Jones said that one of the greatest sins, or perhaps the greatest sin among Christians, is that they're not happy. That's why he said it. Because we can be as miserable and as unhappy as we would like to be. You want to be unhappy? Then choose it. Or you can level out some of this stuff by returning to what you know. Avoid that and enjoy your misery. Now, guys, I'm not, trying to let, I'm not trying to minimize your pain. There are some pains that are so huge that all we can do is lessen them. That's, that's consistent with the New Testament. Hebrews 12 says, not all sorrow, uh, for the, uh, seems, not all, uh, not all sorrow is joyful for the moment, but, uh, but afterwards yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I mean, the, the New Testament admits that some pain is not joyful. It's not fun. It's afterwards. So, fix your attention on the afterwards. That's something we know. So gang, here's the way we deal with the devil. This is what we say to him. You say to the devil in the midst of the night when his fangs are so much bigger. His fangs are bigger at night. You say to him, I agree with you, Satan. I, I, I can't understand what I'm going through. But I am certain about my end. I may not understand all of the mind of God, but I know the purpose of God with respect to me. And that cannot fail. People who know the promises of God, they do that. And that's what it means to live by faith as opposed to sight. I want you to see one other thing and I'm finished. If you can turn to Isaiah chapter 50 real quick. I want you to see this. You need to, need to feast your little baby blues on Isaiah 50. I remember when I first saw this, it was in the midst of... Um, uh, my own personal sorrows. And um, the, the text kind of arrested me in the middle of it because it begins, I mean, Isaiah 50, verse 10. And it begins like this. It says, uh, Who among you fears the Lord? And I said um, to myself, I said, uh, Well, I do. I fear God. Then it goes on. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? That servant, by the way, is a reference to the, to the Messiah. But who among you fears the Lord? Well, I do. And who among you obeys the voice? I, I don't know how obedient I am. But I am a God-fearer. I, I, I can say yes to that. My obedience, questionable. Inconsistent but certainly a desire to obey. 
So, who among you fears the Lord? That'd be me. Then read on. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light. That was me. Him who walks in darkness and has no light. You God-fearers out there who are in the midst of walking in darkness with no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on His God. That's all I got for you, folks. You don't do that and get used to your misery. What Isaiah is calling the sufferer to do is what Paul is calling you to do. Go back and remind yourself of what we know. Maybe that will help. I hope so. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, stir up your people to a greater urgency to know you better. Um, it It is our great privilege and to our great benefit to be able to lay hold of who you are and the promises that you've made to us. And so, Father, for my brother or sister who is walking in darkness without any light tonight, I pray that you will woo them and draw them back to those bedrocks in their lives, that they might be able to sink their faith down into the bedrock of your promise and hold on until you have done the good thing that you're up to. Indeed, O God, we may not understand everything that we're experiencing now, but in our heart of hearts, all of us, we know that we're going to love the finished product. And so, Father, grant us grace that we can trust you in the midst of trying circumstances. We beg you in Jesus' name.